Welcome to the Keeping It Israel podcast with Jeff Futers, where Jeff and his guests talk everything Israel as it relates to Christian faith and the church. If you are a Christian and you stand with Israel, you will be encouraged and challenged by this podcast. And if you're not so sure about the whole Israel thing, you need to learn how your faith connects with Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's Jeff with today's guest. Well, welcome to the podcast today, and uh, I am really excited about this series of podcasts that we're going to be doing together on a book that I read a while back, and uh, the author is Gene Binder. Gene, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Great to be back. And uh, you wrote a book called Connecting the Dots, and uh, I just want to share uh, kind of really quickly how I began to experience this material. I was on a, uh, a tour with uh, some friends from the Jerusalem Institute of Justice. And uh, on that tour, I met a gentleman from Colorado who uh, I connected with instantly. He was wearing a Harley Davidson shirt uh, in the airport at Ben Gurion when we all met together. And uh, we immediately started talking bikes and riding and, uh, his name was Don, Don Darling. And uh, Don and I kind of hung out a little bit. We bantered back and forth a little bit on the bus and uh, um, that kind of thing. And, and one of the nights in the hotel, he and I were both kind of up late reading a book and, and he was reading uh, this one. And I asked him, I said, you know, what are you reading there? And so he was quite happy to tell me that his friend had written this book and that I should really check it out. And so he actually gave me the book. This is his copy that I have here. And um, I haven't returned it because I've read it through a couple of times now. But that was the beginning of, of my journey and uh, getting into your material. And um, I, as you recall, emailed you at, at one point and said, listen, I really enjoyed this will you give me permission to, to teach it when I go out and speak? I, I was going to a couple of camps. And so uh, that's been my journey. But uh, I want you to tell people about connecting the dots. And we will make sure that people know how to get this book before we're done. And uh, we're looking at, at doing a series here of these podcasts so that people can understand the sort of the overall theme and then more of the specifics of the different uh, foreshadows that you cover in the book. But first of all, first of all, talk to us, talk to our listeners uh, about who you are and um how you kind of got here. Give us, give us the Reader's Digest condensed version. Okay. Well, you know, in order to, to answer that question, I, I'll go back a little bit. And um, I was, I'm, I'm Jewish and both my, my parents are Jewish and um, you know, there's, there's no way to really know, but um, I'm pretty sure that our, our lineage goes all the way back to Abe. And <laughs> as a, a young kid, my family attended a synagogue. It was a conservative synagogue. And uh, if you don't know, there's, there's three main branches of Judaism. And uh, there's the Orthodox. Those are the folks you see in Israel, maybe New York, that are wearing black clothing. And they have the, the payout sideburns and, um, and uh, often wear hats and things like that. And then there's the conservative that was my my branch that we went to. And then there's the reform, which is a little bit more liberal. And so we attended till I was about 10 and my parents just stopped. And um, I didn't know then why why they stopped. 
I realize now that they were really not, they were not religious at all. And they probably just wanted my brother and I to have a little bit of religious background. And once they felt like we had enough, they, they stopped and we never went back. And as a 10 year old, I was pretty happy about that. I got my Saturdays back and um, that's how 10 year, 10 year olds think. And as a teenager, I, I described myself more as an, an atheist. I, mean, I really was an atheist. I really had come to a place where I didn't believe God existed. And I was actually uh, what I'd call an atheist evangelist. <laughs> I loved particularly <laughs> to, to talk to Christians and tell them what fools they are to believe in a God that doesn't exist. You live and you die. And that the reason you believe in God is because you're weak and you need a crutch in life. And I loved to try and convert Christians to atheism. Um, I'm serious about that. I, I really I really did. And um, I met my wife when, when she was 16 and I was just 18. And we, we dated for three years and we married pretty young. I'm 21 and she's 19. And we came, both came from some pretty dis- dysfunctional backgrounds. And then we had kids and we were like kids raising kids. We, we really had nothing in our toolbox to, to, to have a healthy marriage and to raise our kids well. And so in our seventh year of marriage, we actually separated from each other for a year and um, we got back together, but not because anything changed. We were so pathetic back then that we couldn't figure out how to be apart. So we got back together, finally went to see a marriage counselor. And after the second session, he said, you guys should just save a bunch of money and time and, and, and get divorced. You're, you're just not going to make it. So we're pretty discouraged. That's not very, that's not very encouraging. No, a professional can't help us. And um, so that Sunday, my wife comes downstairs and she's she's dressed up a little bit and the kids are dressed up. And I said, what's going on? She goes, well, we're going to church. And I go, what? Uh, she goes, do you want to go? And I said, no, Jewish boys don't go to church, honey. I mean, this is not going to help our marriage. But off she goes. And it was a really <clears throat> great experience for her. And she ended up going weekly and every week. She asked me to go, and every week I would tell her the same thing. You know, I'm not going to go, hon. And after six months, uh, I finally accepted her invitation. Now, her side of the, my side of the story is I wanted to get her off my back. And her side of the story was that I saw her changing. And both are true. I really wanted to get her off my back. But I was feeling a little bit left behind. I could see that she was changing. And um, so I went. And you know, all the way up to the door of that church, it's a very small church, like 50 people meeting in a rented, empty bank building. As soon as I walked over the threshold of that church, you know, all the way up to the door, I would have said, you're an idiot. You're a fool to believe in God. I walked through and I could hear in the background some praise worship going on. And I began to get emotional, like teary eyed. And then I, I listened to the message and um, I, I, I accused my wife of telling the pastor that I was coming and he had this message in his back pocket that he pulled out, <laughs> you know, the Dean message. Uh, a lot of people yep. have that experience. It was just really the Holy Spirit speaking to me. But what really got me was there was this young man um, who got up to share. It was small enough church that they could do some spontaneous Q&A at the end. And he mentioned he was Jewish. And I thought, what is a Jew doing in a church. I mean, I was so naive back then. I had no idea that Jesus was Jewish. 
I had no idea that when it, it was in a friend's house and they had a picture of the Last Supper, that all those guys at that table were Jewish. And it's, it, it's it, I guess you can call it a Last Supper, but it was a Passover Seder. It's about as Jewish as you can get. And so I went up to that young man and we ended up getting together for coffee and met several times. And he began to, to tell me about all the wonderful promises, prophetic promises of the Messiah, the Jewish promised Jewish Messiah. And it was about an eight month journey, really intense journey. And after that eight months, I, I just firmly believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And I began, I put my trust in him, began to follow Rabbi Yeshua and eventually went on, on staff at that church uh, just about three years later. And one of the things that began to become a focus really early on in my walk was I, I, I discovered that Christianity came out and was connected to Judaism. But I thought, wow, this looks nothing like Jesus would, would, it would be so unfamiliar to him to walk into most churches today. So I began to ask the question, what happened? When did it, where did it go sideways and when? And that really kind of became the focus of my study. I've kind of became a little bit of an expert of, of the first 400 years of Christianity's history. And eventually, um, it led me to, to writing this book. Um, by then, I'm, I'm in Colorado. I started a church in Colorado um, 26 years ago. And at some point, God begins to download this material to me called Connecting the Dots. Well, that's that's a great overview. And, uh, you know, thanks for sharing that. I, when, when Don sort of introduced you to me in terms of telling me who you are, I, I believe he called you Rabbi Gene. And uh, I don't know if that's like a term of affection or, or what, but uh, uh, it's great to hear sort of your background. And, and I love those transformation stories. I mean, the thing about being a pastor for me over the years, that's always, I'm, I'm fairly, you know, stayed, not emotional kind of person. But when I see somebody changed by the power of the gospel, that's when it just, it gets me right here. Um, anyway, I want you to tell us a little bit, and, and that's, I guess, I think that's why this story is so beautiful for me as well, because, you know, over so many years, I studied the Bible um, in a certain way. And you took the Bible and, and God showed you that that the Bible is not just a series of books and it's not uh, unrelated and it's not and and of course we know all of that from from our theological studies but we never really see it the way that you present it here in connecting the dots I, I guess we never really connect the dots if you want to look at it that way and you here in this book you talk about this this incredible story that God is telling from sort of page one to the end of Revelation. Talk just a little bit about, about this idea. Yeah, so, you know, it's about maybe 17 years ago that God woke me up. And then I tell this story a little more extensively in the book, but God woke me up around one in the morning. And, um, and it was one of those times, I don't know if you've ever had it, where, it's unmistakably you're woken up by God, you know, I wasn't, wasn't, wasn't anxiety and it wasn't insomnia. It was just, I knew I had to go down into my study and, and just 
listen. And I began to listen and I heard this word foreshadow sin. Um, anyways, I thought, okay, it, actually it wasn't foreshadows. It was the word shadow. And I thought, all right, I'm just going to do a little search in the Bible for the word shadow. And it shows up and it showed up the first time in Colossians two. And it talked about how the Sabbath and the feasts are a shadow of what's to come. And in Hebrews eight, it talked about how the temple is a shadow and Hebrews 10, the law is a shadow. And I, I spent several hours. I never went back to bed and I'm and, and I woke up every night for the next three nights at one in the morning, never got tired either. I never felt like mm. I was missing sleep and God basically downloaded the information that's in this book. And, and basically, you know, prior to this event, I would have, I, I love to talk about theology and debate theology, and I still love to do that, but I don't find that very helpful in telling the story of God. And when I was done with this, this four days, and, and, and it continued long after that as well, um, I began to see, and this is what connecting the, the dots is about, is that that the Bible and all of history is better seen as a narrative, as a beautiful love story. In fact, it's, 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 it's not two stories. It's not a Jewish story that morphs into a Christian story. It's one story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, a beautiful, seamless love story about God's plan to build an eternal family. And what these what these foreshadows showed me, and, and it ended up being seven of them, and that there's seven became very important. You know, there wasn't four or five, and there wasn't I couldn't find anything more than than seven. That they told the story of the the role of the Jewish people in God's story, in this beautiful love story. And you know, seven is the number of perfection, and that that made me excited. That well, yeah, I mean, I, it would be yeah. great if it was five, and it would be great if it was nine, but it's seven. Um, and the fact that it was the role of the Jewish people that, uh, made it really, you know, essential for me as a Jew to be able to say, this is, this has been my people's role and it continues to be my people's role and it will continue to be my people's role until, until the end of time. And I end up with these seven foreshadows and they, they tell uh, an incredible story. And I'll, I'll tell you what the, what the seven foreshadows are. Um, and they they they're they're done in order, and they're they're done in order. They make sense. I think you'll see that they make sense that it follows this order, and I think you'll see that it describes the Jewish people to a T. So it starts with a covenant promise that God makes makes to Abraham, and when you think of a a, a covenant, you'll we'll talk about that next week. That it, the language God uses a lot of time is that one of a marriage. And so this was a marriage proposal to Abraham and to the, to the Jewish people. And um, that's the first foreshadow. When you have a marriage, usually what comes after marriage? Kids, right? And so the second foreshadow is the nation of Israel. So we have a marriage called the covenant. We have children called the nation of Israel. Once you have a marriage and you have children, you usually want a place to live. That's the promised land. And um, and that's the family home, right? So you have a marriage, the family. Now you have the family home, and then you know um, every smart family, every s- smart parent has a good set of rules to live by. That's the Torah, or the we call it the law. It's an unfortunate translation, but the Torah, 
that's the family rule. So we have a marriage, the family, the family home, the family rules. Then we have the temple foreshadow, and that is a beautiful picture, as you'll see in a, in, a, in a few weeks from now when we talk about the temple. That is God's plan to, to have to give access to his children. Now, it starts off kind of weird where he's in the back room of the temple called the Holy of Holies, but as you'll see that it, it gets better and better as we get through the story. And then the, the, the sixth one is the Sabbath. That's the, the weekly family time, and it ends with the feast. And those are the family reunions. The, the beauty of it, this is, is that every one of these can stand on its own telling the gospel story in a beautiful way. But when you put them together, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I, uh, I love all of those foreshadows and, and how they, first of all, how they come in order and sort of wend their way through the story of Scripture, but, uh, but also how they each get introduced and fulfilled through Jesus and eventually through Yeshua, Hebrew name, and eventually, you know, in, in the future, you talk about these three episodes. But before I let you go there, I do want you to uh, kind of help the listeners understand um, why it's so important for us to catch all of this. And uh, you use an illustration in the book uh, of some glasses. And uh, because I wear glasses, this this really helped me to sort of understand this. And um, also because I, I have, um, I need my glasses to see things far away. But recently in my life, I've also had to get uh, my glasses adjusted so that I can see things close up when I have my glasses on as well. It used to be I could, I could still read my phone or, you know, whatever when I, when I had my glasses on. But then a day came when everything was blurry when I would, you know, try and read with my glasses on. And so uh, use a couple of illustrations about lenses and sort of bringing things into focus. Tell our listeners about that. Yeah, let me let me just set something up to set that up. And that is that, you know, when you think about the Bible and all of history as a story. Um, and when I thought about it, I thought, you know, everybody loves a good story. But, you know, why do we love good stories? And the stories we like the most, you know, unless you're a little dark and twisted, there's a lot. There's plenty of dark and twisted stories out there, but they pale in number to the stories out there that are called a hero's journey. And a hero's mm-hmm. journey is basically, you know, whether it's a novel or a song or a musical or a play, anyone that writes a story about a hero's journey, you, your, your first goal is to get you connected to the main characters. You know, you want to become, yeah. you want your readers or your listeners or your viewers to, to become emotionally bonded to the characters. You think about that. Think of the great stories that you love you know, and um, that that's what happens in the beginning. You just become, oh, I like these people, you know, but then the music starts to turn a little bit dark and that gives rise for the evil villain to come and just kind of ruin things and to take maybe the heroine captive in some way, um, which then gives room for the hero to come and save the day. It's why you call it a hero's journey. Defeats the evil villain and then that scene that we love where we get the tissues out where they ride off into the sunset to live happily ever after. In fact, 
you know, what normally comes right after that as the credits come, the words, the end. But is it the end? Right? Or do we imagine that from that point on, everything is going to be great? Well, God wrote a story, and it's a hero's journey. And we're the main characters. And we've been taken captive by the evil villain. And in God's story, he is both the author and the hero, right? And he, he comes and saves the day. And we're yet to get to that, to that point where we ride off to the sunset. But this is our hope. We're waiting to ride off into the sunset to live happily ever after. Yeah. The end? No, it's, it's going to be a great new beginning. And every other story that's been written, whether the pe people believe in God or they don't believe in God, tell this story over and over again. The, the characters change, maybe the date of when it takes place changed, the circumstance changed, but it follows that same hero's theme pattern. And they do this because God's story is in our DNA. We put it in our veins. That's great. That's great. So, so we, we look at the story in certain ways. We do. And it's important. So I like to think of it as, you know, if you go to a theater and you, you're going to watch a 3D movie, um, you got to have special glasses, right? And if you don't have the 3D glasses, then everything's going to be blurry. And God, God's story is the kind of the same way. You have to have special glasses. So I, I say there's, there's three kinds of glasses. There are some people that have these kinds of glasses. That's how they see God's story. And so they only have the first half of the story, the first section of the story. And, um, and they don't know how the story resolves. So I call these no resolution glasses and it's like if you if you were to walk if you were to walk into a theater and leave halfway during the movie you just don't know how it ends you and you have to kind of guess how it's going to end and so that's that's the first set of glasses well there's some people who just have these glasses on and i call these no context glasses so it's now if you go to the movies and you come halfway through the movie you're probably going to elbow the person next to you and say, Hey, what's going on? You know, I'm kind of lost in this story. And sadly, that's how it is for a lot of us. We have been disconnected from the, the first section of the story and we don't have a lot of the Jewish context. And so you, you basically have to kind of, you know, do your best to try and figure out what a passage says. But a lot of times we get it wrong because we don't have the context. So in order to see God's story, Correctly, I say you have to have these connecting the dots glasses. So you have to have both the Jewish story and the Christian story. And, uh, and then you can, you know about the, how it resolves, you know about the context, and that's the best way to look at God's story. And they're fun, aren't they? Those glasses are fun. They're fun, and they're, they're a great illustration of, of sort of what it takes for us to understand all of this. I, I found it very helpful to me. And uh, you, you also mentioned, you know, about contact lenses. Sometimes if, if you have my issue, you can put one lens in one eye and one lens in the other eye, and it will, it will help you to, to see both, both near and far. And uh, I think that, that that's just a great illustration. Now, this story... Uh, it happens in in sort of three phases. It's like all the good trilogies that we've, you know, always gone and watched uh, in in the movies. Uh, talk to us about about that and sort of set that up for us. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, you think about Lord of the Rings. There's there's 
um, J.R. Tolkien's version of it, that there it comes in, in, in three episodes, right? And, and they're meant to be viewed in order, in chronological order. So it wouldn't make sense if you looked at the last one first and then went back and looked at the first one. You'd be kind of lost. Well, God's story is the same way. I mean, we think of it really as, as a lot of times it's just two stories. It's got the Old Testament story and it's got the New Testament story. But there's actually a third phase, right? So we've got the, the, the Hebrew scriptures tell the first episode and then the new covenant or the new Testament scriptures tell the second episode, but there's a third episode that's going to come the, the episode where we ride off into the sunset where Yeshua comes back for us. And uh, so God's story is, is like a trilogy as well. And you have to understand it that way. And so all of those um, seven foreshadows that I, that I listed before they all play out in those three episodes. They're, they're beautiful. In episode one, they are prophetic pictures of the past. And so they're looking towards something like a, if you think a you know, foreshadow, what's a, what's a foreshadow? You look at the word shadow. You know, if, if you look at your shadow on the ground or you look at anybody's shadow, you know that that's not the person. It's not the real thing, you know, but if, if you follow the shadow, eventually you're going to get to the real thing. So these Prophetic pictures of the past are eventually going to lead us through the second episode into the final episode. And so they start out as prophetic pictures of the past. When, when Yeshua shows up, we're in the second episode. These are messianic fulfillments of the present. We live in that era. We live in the messianic era right now. And we're waiting for eternal completion. That's the third episode. And uh Hopefully that'll come sooner than later, but that's, that's our hope. It's waiting for Yeshua to come back. They all play out in that same way. They all tell the gospel story in a unique way. It's amazing, actually. Yeah, the gospel story and also the story of God's heart for, for us to be a part of his family, which I know, I know is sort of the, the ultimate conclusion of the, of the gospel story, but, but this is, um, it's the family element and, and the story of God's love for us that I think, uh, takes us maybe so off guard sometimes. We, we all know, I, I've always known, you know, God, God loves me and he sent, he sent Jesus so that, so that I I could be a part of his family, but but this idea that that family was the was the motivation from the very beginning, you know, Adam, Eve, uh, God began the family. Abraham, he calls calls a man to himself and and begins to walk this journey towards um, what will ultimately be. Um, all of us together as the family of God in his presence in eternity future. And, uh, you know, we, we think about that, that uh, future thing happening. And with what we've been going through in the last year or so, um, it makes us wonder if we're not getting an awful lot closer, doesn't it? It's hard to imagine that we're not. Yeah, quite a bit closer. Um, yeah, it, it just seems like the wheels have been coming off. I, you know, there's been times in history where the wheels have come off. A lot of people thought during the Holocaust. But, you know, one of the things that had to happen before we could say, hey, you know, he can come back any time now is that Israel had to get back in the land. And that hadn't happened with the Holocaust. In fact, the Holocaust was the precursor to 
the Jewish people getting back to the land. So mm-hmm. basically now we don't have, you know, any more prophecies that need to be fulfilled other than that final climatic scene that we read about where it looks like, you know, Zechariah writes about it in Zechariah 12 and, and 14, where all the nations come against Israel. It looks like it's curtains. Um, they have no ability to defend themselves against this massive army that's going to assemble in, in the plain of Megiddo. A lot of people think this battle takes place there, but no, they're on their way to the Temple Mount that has and always will be ground zero. And, um, and you know, the battle takes place in, in the Valley of Jehoshaphat or the Kidron Valley. Mm. And, um, but in Zechariah 14, it says, when it looks like it's going to be curtains, the Messiah's feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives on Haaretz 18. And yeah, there's not, there's not a whole lot to hold that back right now, except that yeah. we have to get to that final scene. It's exciting to think about, isn't it? And uh, very ex- exciting and scary because it's a, it's a very, yeah. I mean, you know, you see, it's not just what's happening in our country. It's, it's the whole world that right. you see the wood coming off right now. Yeah. 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 Well, um, this is totally aside to what we're talking about, but I, you know, I have this thought in my heart sometimes that, that I hope it's a while yet only because not because I don't want us all to be together with Jesus, but because I see that, that God is still wanting his people, the Jewish people to come back, to come back to him and, and to recognize Yeshua as their Messiah. But, um, we don't know how that's going to happen, but I, I believe it will. And, uh, so these are exciting days, scary, but exciting. And uh, that's great. Now, I do want, before we sort of wrap up for, for today's uh, episode and, you know, look forward to next week, I want to talk about that, the one last thing that you cover before you move to the foreshadows, and that's this whole idea of replacement theology. It's, a, it's an obstacle in the church today to, uh, for us to sort of understand all that you're talking about if, if we somehow believe that God's promises for Israel are no longer true, as I sort of just referenced a moment ago. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I encourage I encourage everyone to to tune in for next week because we're going to talk about the covenant. Was it temporary or was it uh, an eternal promise? And we'll talk about that. But um, you know, so so the, the history of the church starts out, you know, after Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to heaven. It's an all Jewish movement. I mean, it's just Jews for ten years. It's really it's only Jews who come to faith, and they were not expecting it to change at all. But then you have this event that happens in Cornelius's home in Caesarea where, where Peter comes. And, um, and the end result there is that the Holy Spirit falls on all those Gentiles, just like he fell on the people in the upper room. And Peter's going, oy vey, you know, I mean, this, there's, <laughs> there's, you know, no one is more surprised about this than the Jewish believers. Like, what? You know, I mean, there's, there's so... They're so thrown off that they have to have a council about this. And, um, you know, that story happens in Acts 10 and Acts 15. They have a council. Like, what are we going to do with this? Some people think, well, we got to make them Jewish because, you know, you got to be Jewish. 
I mean, it's a Jewish thing. They got to be Jewish. They got to keep the laws of Moses. And there's there's this de- debate. In the end, they de- they de- they decide not to do that, which was a lot of wisdom because you know the uh, God's plan is not for everybody to be Jewish. It's uh, when we get to New Jerusalem, it's a multicultural. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation is there. You know, it's important. I I still see myself as a Jew, and if you're not Jewish, you, you know your identity is important. Um, but what happens is we, we see a, a, a very slow but steady shift at, from all Jewish leadership in the center of, of well, it wasn't called Christianity, but, but I'll just use that word. It was Christianity. The center is Jerusalem. And it, and it begins to slowly shift to where it eventually becomes an all Gentile leadership. And it shifts from, from um, Jerusalem to Rome. And even before the end of the first century, there is becoming this very anti-Jewish posture that early church leaders and all of them, all of them wrote and said some very horrible things about the Jewish people that started even before the end of the first century that, that God, God um, has removed his covenant promises from Abraham and he's given them to the church. So the church has replaced Israel. That's where we get this word replacement theology. Those that hold to this view, they don't use that word. They don't use replacement theology. It's just something that we look at. Um, and if it had stayed there, it might have been okay, right? But it, it got worse and worse as time went on. Um, and I'm not talking about a long time, like into the second century. They began to have a lot of church fathers began to say that God not only has removed his covenant promises from Abraham, but he hates the Jewish people for killing his son. And by the time we get to the fourth century, when Constantine um, becomes emperor and makes Christianity the official religion of Rome, there are, there are hundreds of thousands of Jewish believers, along with hundreds of thousands of non-Jewish believers, and a lot of those people are, are standing together and they're still, you know, they're still keeping the Sabbath and they're celebrating the feast. And, and Constantine doesn't like this. And, um, and so most people know from the Council of Nicaea that, you know, thing, beautiful things like the Apostles' Creed comes out of it, codification of, you know, who Jesus is, um, being fully, fully God and fully man, the Trinity, all these things come out. But pe- most people don't know is that, there were laws passed that you couldn't, as a, a, a Jewish follower of Jesus or as a Gentile follower of Jesus, no more Jewish things could be there. And from that point on, not only are, do no more Jews of any significant number come to faith in Jesus because you have to stop being Jewish, um, but it just gets worse in this kind of rhetoric against the Jews and these church fathers use words like pigs and non-redeemable and, and all the way to Martin Luther, who wrote a book called The Jews and Their Lies. And it was just a horrible book about the Jewish people that millions of Jewish people are murdered, slaughtered for this thinking. And they do it in the name of Jesus as if Jesus would have been happy about this. And when I go around the world and I teach on this, a lot of times Jewish people show up. And um, they're curious about my book and about the things I have to say. And they know I'm a supporter of the Jewish people. And when I talk, I say, I'm going to tell you the story, the history of Christianity. And every Jew in this room knows this story. 
and almost every Christian in this room doesn't because pastors aren't taught this. Mm -hmm. And the result of that is that we have, even though today I would not say most Christians are anti-Semitic or even anti-Jewish, but there is this very subtleness that we're done with Jewish things. And we've been told two things. One is that the Jews rejected Jesus, and that's just not true. Jesus was highly popular up until the fourth century. There were hundreds of thousands of Jews that came to faith, if you really study the history. But that ends in the fourth century. The second thing we've been told is that the Torah is a bad thing. It's a horrible thing. It was this burden that Jewish people just couldn't carry, and that Jesus came and he abolished it, and Paul says that we're done with it. And that's not true either. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the Torah portion. But that all this is kind of subtleness, what I call kind of anti-Jewish thinking and teaching still remains in the church today. It's a problem. Yeah, it really is a problem. And and subtle is a great word because I, I've said to people often, I've said, you know, this idea of replacement theology, most people who who practice it would never know what it's called or know what it is. It's It's been so gradually uh, inserted into the DNA of the church of the Ecclesia over the centuries that, uh, you know, I was I was guilty as a young pastor of of taking and preaching those Old Testament texts and and only applying it to you know to the church and and I I believe that we can I believe we can apply it to to ourselves today to the church and even to the to the Gentiles I believe it was always God's plan you can see it through the Psalms and through the prophets it was always God's plan to bring uh, the Gentiles into the family uh, and we're going to see it through uh, through the things that we're talking about in the next few weeks but but um, we can't take those texts and um, you know make them only applicable to ourselves at the expense of what God was originally saying to the Jewish people uh, and, and to Israel. And it's, it's about the people and it's about the land. As far as I'm concerned, it's about both of those things. And it still is, uh, has great application today. But um, I think that knowing that replacement theology exists out there and trying to sort of recognize it in our thinking um Will, will help us to better understand what it is that you're going to be sharing over the next number of weeks. Would that, does that sound fair? Yeah, yeah. And if you don't have this on your radar screen, you miss it. And it, it is very subtle. I mean, when you hear a, a, a pastor or a Bible teacher say the Jews rejected Jesus, um, most Christians would say, yeah, that's true, but that's not true. You know, what, what really yeah. happened is that there were there were some leaders that rejected him and felt threatened, but he was highly popular and he stayed highly popular even after he died and rose from the dead. And it wasn't until the fourth century. This is kind of my sweet spot in history to study. And um, there's a lot of people writing on it now. So that's great to be able to correct it. But there was a, a huge movement of Jewish people who, who still follow Jesus. So that's, that's not true. And the Torah is still applicable today. Obviously I'm not, I don't have payout those, you know, long sideburns and I'm not wearing a, a kippah and I'm not, I don't have a tallit. So something has changed. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope people will tune in to hear about what is of value of the Torah today, because it still has application for our lives today. 
No, that's great. Well, this is amazing. It's a great overview of what we're going to be talking about in the next number of weeks. And I, uh, you know, the, this idea of God's great love story is just is such a beautiful thing. And next week, we're going to jump into the first shadow that uh, that you're going to teach us about, just kind of wet people's appetites before we sign off here today. Well, the covenant is the first foreshadow. Again, that's that's the marriage, and um, it's really God's heart for the, the, the Israelites, but it's really his heart for all of us. It, tells, it goes through this kind of three-episode stage of we have, we have an engagement, and uh, Israel becomes unfaithful, and it looks like the marriage is off, but then Jesus shows up and reconciles it. And I'm not going to give the spoiler away, but that's kind of the pattern it follows. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful telling of the gospel story. And I just, I encourage you to, to tune in um, because it's absolutely amazing. It really is. Amen. Well, for those of you who like love stories and uh, love seeing things fall into place, uh, this next one you're going to enjoy next week. So uh, make sure you tune in and uh, be part of the podcast next week. And uh, Gene, just before we go, how can people order your book? Well, uh, you can get a, a, a Kindle version of it on, on Amazon. And the best place to buy it for the best price, if you just want a, a hard copy of the book, is on my website, which is boldjourney.com, boldjourney.com backslash books. And there's a good deal there. It's, it's, just, it's just $10, and I think shipping is free as well. So that's the best place to buy a hard copy. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being with us on the podcast today. And we are all looking forward to next week when we talk together about the covenant. God bless. Thanks for inviting me. God bless you too. Well, thank you for joining us for the podcast today. And uh, we are going to enjoy together this series of podcasts with Gene Binder on his book, Connecting the Dots. Today was a great overview. And uh, he shared with us how that uh, there are seven basic foreshadows that we uh, can look at. We're only going to be covering about, uh, I believe, five of them on this podcast series. We don't want to give away the whole thing because we want you to buy the book. But I know you're going to enjoy this. And uh, today, as I said, we heard about the seven different uh, foreshadows and also how that they tell a story throughout the three periods of history and time. The Old Testament period, the period of Messianic fulfillment when Jesus comes and, and fulfills uh, many of these foreshadows, uh, time that we're in right now. And then also there is this future prophetic time when everything will be, will be fulfilled and God will bring his family home to himself. I think you're going to enjoy this series. And so I would love to encourage you to re-engage with us next week and for the weeks to come. This will be a six-week series, and I know you're going to enjoy Gene's sharing and his teaching as we talk together. I want to remind you that uh, you can get his book. Please, uh, if you're interested in, in an ebook or Kindle version, you can go to Amazon and search Connecting the Dots by Gene Binder. Also, you can get it on his website if you're looking for a hard copy of the book and uh, that is boldjourney.com forward slash books, plural. And you're going to want to uh, check that out. 
I appreciate so much uh, you engaging, tuning in with us. Uh, remember, we're a ministry. First Century Foundations partners with over 70 Messianic and Christian ministries organizations on the ground in the land of Israel. And we are actively funding projects uh, for these various ministries. And so I want to encourage you, if you enjoy this podcast, if you get something out of this and you want to be able to put something back in, then donate to help us help ministries in the land of Israel. We would appreciate that so much. And you can do that on our website, firstcenturyfoundations.com forward slash donate. So go check out our website and you can find everything you need there. There's lots of other products as well and um, you might want to look at those. But again, thank you for being with us on the podcast today. It's just been great to have you here and tune in next week. And Gene and I will be talking about the first of the five foreshadows that we're going to cover in this series, and that is the foreshadow of the covenant. It's a beautiful love story of how God is calling people to himself and to be a part of his family. You're not going to want to miss it. Remember, as always, as Christians, we stand with Israel. 